0: together to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the final verses on faith here in verses 32 through 38. So far in our walk through the Hall of Faith in chapter 11, we have seen that out in a various ways. We have seen that a life lived out accepts God on his terms, walks with God, faith works hard for God's kingdom, obeys God, keeps their eyes focused forward. Faith makes us live like pilgrims, passes tests. Faith endures to the end. Faith creates a a type of fearlessness. Faith embraces the hard choices in life, the hard paths. It conquers certain death. Faith is willing to look foolish. And faith saves egregious sinners like, like you and I. The author has so much to say about the life of faith. So many more examples to give, but, but room is running out. What we have to realize is that scrolls had a certain length, and he looks at the end of his scroll that he's writing on and sees that he doesn't have time to, to keep going on with all these examples. He has so much more to say. And so, the author rapidly mentions what faith looks like, drawing from the rest of redemptive history in these seven verses. Look with me at verse 32 in chapter 11. The author there says, And what more shall I say? For time fails me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. Father God, teach us from this text that you have preserved for us what you have. Spirit, apply it to our lives. Enliven these words so that they are a two-edged sword on our heart and on our minds, and sculpt us in this hour. Jesus' name, amen. Augustine is attributed to have said this the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning, and deep enough for a theologian to swim in and never touch the bottom. It's true of the Word of God. It's very tempting, as you can imagine, for me to take every single one of these examples and just exegete them, right? But I think it's wise for us to approach this text as a babe and recognize that the author is basically conveying in these seven verses two main thoughts, two main thoughts that he wants to say finally about faith. That living by faith inevitably leads in one of two directions. Living by faith inevitably leads in one of two directions. Deliverance or death. Those are the two directions. And it makes sense that he would end this chapter this way. Brothers and sisters, we always have to remember the context of the letter. It helps us understand what is being said here. He is writing to a group of incredibly discouraged Christians, Jewish Christians who are under intense persecution that I'll tell you about in a minute. And they're thinking about turning their backs on their faith. As they stand by faith, the wave after wave after wave of intense life difficulties and persecution and suffering are coming their way. And they think, you know what? If I just stop opening my mouth, if I just go back to living like a Jew, they'll leave me alone. I don't have to keep hiding. They won't keep pursuing me. If we take the date of Hebrews as around 65 A.D., as, as I do, what was happening at that very time was Nero, Caesar Nero, was intensely persecuting the Christians. Rome, if you remember, had burned, and he deflected all the blame onto the Christians. And so the whole empire erupted in, a, in an intense persecution of our brothers and sisters around that time. The historian Tacitus writes about... Our brothers and sisters, besides being put to death, the Christians were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Still others were dressed in shirts made made stiff with wax, fixed on fire in Nero's gardens to light his evening feasts. That's a historical account of her brothers and sisters. And these Jewish Christians thought, if they just went back to their Jewish way of living, this all would go away. And so they're tempted to do this. And so the reason that this letter was inspired to be written to this group of Jews is to encourage their faith, keep going, hold fast your faith, don't give up, persevere, keep going. That's the message over and over again, and that's the message here in our verses today. So the author, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts all his cards on the table here and says very simply, if you're living by faith, your life will eventually lead in one of two directions. And the first direction is very encouraging. Your life will lead in the direction of deliverance. Faith leads to deliverance. Sometimes in God's sovereign will, he delivers delivers you from difficult circumstances. This is what's being described in verses 32, 33, 34, and 35. Those first four verses. All that is mentioned there has a common theme if you take three steps back. God's people in dire circumstances holding fast to their faith and God delivering them. That's... The theme of the first four examples. First verses. How encouraging that must have been to read. Remember, this was read out loud in a home church. How encouraging it must have been to those Christians to hear that God delivers over and over again. These people that had held fast to their faith, right? He begins by mentioning six people who experienced incredible deliverance by faith. Gideon. We know the story well. He had 32,000 men against the Midianites who had 20,000. He was feeling pretty good. But God said, no, you can only take 300 into battle and only with torches, no swords. And by faith, Gideon did what God commanded and God delivered him. And Barak, who did not want to lead the united tribes against an overwhelming army of the Canaanites, led by Sisera, but spurred on by Deborah. He lived by faith and not by sight, and God delivered. Samson and Jephthah, who who were deeply flawed men, but had flashes of faith, if you read the stories, flashes of faith. And those flashes brought deliverance to God's people over the Philistines and the Amorites by faith. Finally, two of the greatest men of the Old Testament, he mentions Samuel, whose faithful ministry, as Richard Phillips writes, Israel would have surely fallen into disarray. The Philistines would have continued to subjugate them, and David would have died an unknown shepherd, had it not been for Samuel's faith. And then there's David, who looked at massive Goliath with the eyes of faith and not sight. And God delivered his people through him. The author goes into shorthand after this, mentioning faith of conquering kingdoms, perhaps Joshua and the conquest of the promised land comes to mind there. Enforced justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions. Daniel being lowered into the lion's den by faith comes to mind there. And he was delivered the next day quenched fire, here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to come to mind where they they stepped into that fiery furnace by faith and God stood with them in the flames. You remember the fourth? And delivered them. And they didn't even smell like smoke. By faith they escaped the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Perhaps the author wants this group of, of persecuted Christians to remember Jehoshaphat's prayer in Second Chronicles 20, when he was faced with a huge army that was coming towards them, outnumbered. And this is what King Jehoshaphat said. Listen to this. He prayed, We are powerless to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What a great prayer for us. And by faith, God delivered Jehoshaphat and the Israelites. Lastly, he mentions women who received back their dead. Surely this is a, a reference to both the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, who both encountered women with dead sons. But by faith, they were raised from the dead and delivered back to their mothers. You see, the point the author is trying to make is that by continuing to believe in God, by holding fast to your faith, even in difficult circumstances in your life, by being faithful, by not turning away from Christ, there's great deliverance. God comes through. God delivers. And this must have been so encouraging for those Jewish Christians to read. Encouragement to keep their faith in Christ, even though tempted to turn away. To keep their faith even when they saw their brothers and sisters being hauled off by the Romans. To keep their faith even when they were standing in the stadiums in the Circus Maximus waiting for the lion cage door to open. To hold fast their faith even when they were being fitted for that wax vest that they were going to wear and burn to death in. God can and does Deliver his people by faith. He does. I don't think I told you last week at the at the picnic, but Avonlea and I almost didn't make it out of Namibia. I didn't tell you this part. And we got to the airport at the end of the week and we got to the last passport station and and the man asked for the passport. I gave him my passport. He asked for her birth certificate, which I had copied, and I gave it to him. He then asked for the mother's birth certificate, Carrie's. I didn't have that, and so I said, I don't have it. He kind of blinked and looked down. He said, copy of mother's passport. Didn't have a copy of Carrie's passport. He said, notarized letter from the mother giving you permission to travel with her. I said, I don't have that. He shook his head and he said, we can't leave. We can't leave the country. Terrified, I I asked why. And he said, human trafficking. And so I began to pray. What are we going to do? There are literally thousands and thousands of children who are abducted. And never seen again. There's a story recently of a 12-year-old girl in Ethiopia who was abducted by seven men for the purpose of of getting a bride. She was beaten and abused for seven days in a remote part of Ethiopia. And she was allowed to cry out all she want because there were miles and miles from anybody. However, according to police reports, a strange thing happened. In response to the girl's cries... Three large Ethiopian lions came out of the bush and chased those men away. And then they did a strange thing. They came back, the girl thought, well, what, we, what you and I would think. I guess I'm next. And instead of devouring her, they sat around her, formed a protective perimeter. A half day later, when the police arrived, the guardian lions simply stood up and walked away. Sergeant Winombu, who was first on the scene, reported they stood guard until we found her and they just left her like a gift and went into the forest. Those are the types of deliverances that we look to, right? I mean, those are the types of deliverances that we pray for, right? Right? And God comes through. He delivers. God, in His sovereign grace and mercy, and us holding fast to our faith, even though it looks silly, delivers. And it's wonderful. And we praise God for it, right? We send emails and texts around. We proclaim, as the great hymn writer says, how great thou art, right? We sing that when those things happen. And it's not wrong to pray for and hope for and praise God for deliverance. We serve a powerful God who does deliver his children by faith. We each have stories in our own lives that I'm sure we can look back on and go, that was God. That was God. Definitely God. Wasn't me. Thank you, Lord. And I encourage you, as your pastor, to do that. That is good and right to do. And it's faith building. We each have those stories. Like for some unknown reason, after a few minutes, the passport guy just looked at me and said, Okay, I'm going to be lenient and let us go. I have no reason why. We hold fast to our face in dire circumstances and God can and does deliver it. And what immense encouragement that must have been for those Christians who had, were wearing the wax shirt being led to Nero's garden. He can And does deliver. He can and does deliver. I might not die. I'm holding fast to my faith. But the author does not stop there. He wants to round out their theology of suffering. He wants to round out our theology of suffering as well. He doesn't want to leave us there With this health, wealth type of understanding of suffering and death. He does not want to leave us presuming that God always delivers. And if he doesn't, it must be our faith, our weakness. That's bad theology. Because both experience and scripture tell us there's another side of the faithful life, right? It's another side. Yes, faith can lead to amazing deliverance, but faith can also lead to death. And that's what our author and the Holy Spirit wants us to understand by the second half of what we just read this morning. If you look at verse 35, you can see there's a clear divide there. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. There's a clear change from deliverance to suffering, from deliverance to death there. Sometimes living by faith means walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And when we get to the end of the valley, there, there's two exits, deliverance and death. And the author says, quite frankly, sometimes in God's wise and good Sovereign providence. When you hold fast to your faith, it does lead to death. It does lead into more suffering. D.A. Carson is probably best known for helping to start the Gospel Coalition with Tim Keller, but he's also a seminary professor. And most importantly to him, he's also a pastor. He tells the story of a time in his church when a woman contracted cancer in his church. She was very active for many years. She was beloved by the body. She was in her mid-40s. And this affected the body. This was devastating the body. As the cancer dragged on, they held a prayer meeting one night where the body came together to specifically pray for this woman. As the prayer meeting went on, the good and right petitions to God were prayed to heal her, to save her, to give her strength, give her body strength to fight this cancer. It was a powerful prayer meeting, he says. And as the night wore on, confidence in the room was rising that God would deliver this woman, that God would heal this woman, At that point, his wife, Joy, prayed the following prayer. Lord, in your great power, we ask that you might heal our sister. And we know that you can do that. But Lord, in your sovereign plan, if you choose not to deliver her from death, we ask that you give her strength to die well. And that in her dying, She would glorify you. says that you could have heard a pin drop. That it kind of brought the prayer meeting to an abrupt end. In fact, some of the women didn't talk to her on the way out. I think Joy was praying what the author is intending for us to hear here in the second half. Sometimes in God's sovereign plan, the exit of the valley of the shadow of death is death. He wants those dear persecuted Christians he's writing to who are being fitted for their wax vests to know that if they stand firm with their faith, if they hold fast, they may in fact die. I think he's trying to convey... One of the, one of the points of this text, which is true faith is not incompatible with suffering and death. True faith is not incompatible with suffering and death. They're not mutually exclusive. If your suffering continues, it does not mean that you do not have enough faith, dear children. That suffering and faith are not oxymorons. That the same God who rescues, Psalm 18 that we just read, entangled with death, rescue me, and he rescues. The same God who wrote that wrote these four verses. Faith which delivers also is the same faith that leads to suffering and mocking and flogging and imprisonment. The same faith that leads to deliverance that stops the mouths of lions also allows for stoning being sawn in two being stoned. Same faith. What God wants us to know, what God wants us to really grapple with, brothers and sisters, and it is a grappling, that faith and suffering, faith and death are not incompatible. It's not incompatible. In fact, unless you really come come to terms with what is being said here in this text, unless you really come to terms with that, you'll always have a weak faith. You will always be tossed around by life. You'll always be questioning God. You have to deal with this. Because one of the ways you are to prepare for hard things in your your life is to know that they exist. And to know that faith, real faith, is not incompatible with suffering and death. That's the purpose of this litany of examples. D.A. Carson's wife prayed a biblical prayer. Holding fast to your faith in dire circumstances sometimes means suffering and death. I think the second truth that God wants us to know here is it's a worthy thing to suffer for your faith. It's a worthy thing to suffer for your faith. Look at verse 38 with me. He says right there, he kind of interrupts himself, right? In my Bible, it's kind of set apart. He goes through this litany and then he stops in verse 38 and he says, by the way, the world is not worthy of these type of people. These are amazing people who are holding fast to their faith in very difficult circumstances. You know what? The world isn't even worthy of them. They're so amazing, so treasured. Just think what God is saying here. Richard, Richard Phillips says it well. All these men and women were thought unfit by the world because of their faith in God. That's how we are viewed sometimes, brothers and sisters. When in reality, because of its unbelief, this world is not a fit place for them. That's what that verse is saying. That is true. God considers this broken world an unfit place for his children that are being persecuted for their faith. Let's keep that in mind when we face the difficulties of our life. Whatever happens to you and me, life or death, good circumstances or bad, easy or hard, acceptance or rejection, if you're holding fast to your faith in Christ through it all, I want you to to look over at verse 16 with me. Look back at verse 16. This is what God thinks of you. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that awesome? God is proud to be associated with you when you hold fast in your faith in difficult circumstances. That's pretty amazing. Lastly, God wants us to know we face our dire circumstances, we face these difficult times with great hope. We face them with great hope. I think it's tucked right there in verse 35 and I hope you saw it. Women received back their their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. What's he referring to there? He's talking about our resurrection, brothers and sisters. Some were not delivered, but died. And that's really, it's really comforting to know that we have that hope out there that type of deliverance that is final deliverance. It is said that when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was being led to the gallows before he was hung, it is said that he paused at the bottom of the steps of the gallows. And then he went up and was hung. We have no way of knowing what he was thinking about. But boy, isn't it interesting to be thinking, maybe he was thinking about this verse. Maybe he was thinking about, you know what, they can kill this body. But I know I have hope of a better resurrection coming that gave him the courage to actually put one foot in front of the other and ascend the gallow stairs. That's the kind of hope of this future resurrection that gives us incredible power to go through life's suffering and, yes, death. Nancy Guthrie writes a very personal account about this kind of resurrection hope and power when her young son Gabriel uh, was dying. She writes this, I don't think the hope of a better resurrection had ever been as important to me as it was the night we sensed that our son Gabriel was succumbing to the fatal effects of his syndrome. My older son Matt had already gone to bed, so we woke him and told him that we thought Gabe might be dying and wanted him to have a chance to say goodbye. Then we put Gabe into our bed between us and thanked God for his life. I pulled out my Bible and opened it to 1 Corinthians 15 and turned to Gabe, saying, Gabe, do you want to hear about the resurrection? When we face the grave, she writes, as we all will, all the religious talk about resurrection becomes more than talk. It was all too real for me in that moment, she says. It was of supreme importance In those hours saying goodbye to Gabe, I needed to reaffirm that the resurrection is real and that our hope is solid. So I began to read aloud. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, then all we are doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised. And the first of a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. It's resurrection, resurrection. It's always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say in the way I live. Resurrection will be the perfection we have been waiting for. And she concludes, Oh, how I long for that day. I believe it is really coming and that it will be worth waiting for. Brothers and sisters, how do you face suffering and death? I put it to you, the way we face it is by faith, knowing that there is a better resurrection coming, a better life coming, that your body will be raised from the grave, physical, real, glorified. Resurrection was secured by Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again. And if you believe that, if you believe that, if you trust in that, if you look to that alone, Jesus says you will be saved. You will raise from the dead. You will go from life to life. Remember when he he encountered Martha after her brother Lazarus had died on the fourth, third day? And Martha said, if only you were here. And Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He's telling Martha that. He's telling us this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, he told her. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then he looked her in the eyes and he said, Do you believe this? The answer to that question either gives you power to face suffering and death or crumple in fear. Justin Martyr, when he and his congregation were led to the place where they were going to be killed, killed, Said this to his, he turned and said this to his congregation. Remember, brothers and sisters, they can kill us, but they can't hurt us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for encouraging us to hold fast to our faith to not turn away from you, even though it's hard. And this life is hard. Help us always to remember that we will go from life to life, to a better life, to a better resurrection.